Welcome to Sermons in the Park, a ministry exploring biblical truth from the Word of God, focusing on the truths that help us in our daily walk with Christ in every aspect of our lives. Now, here is your Reverend, Jamie McCaskill. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all-new Sermons in the Park podcast exclusive episode. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Now, this one right here that we're about to do, just to let you know, um was not originally on my plans to do. I was kind of sitting here doing some research and I had enough, I wound up having enough to do an episode on this. So I thought it would be fun, a little bit different, right, than what we usually do. Um, part of it's based off of, uh, I'm, you'll see people all the time try to put the Bible down as being this or that or whatever. and. Uh, a little bit of it came from, you know, doing the um, unbiblical things people say, uh, just stuff like that, and just to help you guys when you're out there with people who are not believers, to help you kind of defend the Bible a little bit. So I thought, why don't we look into the King James Bible? Because if you've listened to me long enough, I know that you've noticed. That I primarily use the old King James. I love the old King James. It's my one of my favorite translations. But I am not by any means um, a King James purist. It's just the translation that I was brought up up with, right? My grandmother, I think I told you this in the past, my, my grandma Faye, which is my dad's mother, she was a King James purist. Um so we're, you know, well, of course, because she was one, all the churches that she took me to, they were King James purist. Uh, the Church of God that I attended, now I'm not exactly sure that they were King James purist, but I do know that Brother Junior preached from the old King James. And me, of course, like I said, I, I like to preach from the old King James. So let's talk about that let's talk about the old King James um, so what does the King James version even mean you know uh, well it literally means the translation that was made under the authority of King James of course King James he lived in the 16th and 17th century uh, you might have guessed but that was the time of William Shakespeare uh, at that time the Protestant Church had, you know, pretty much won over England, you know, taking it away from the Catholics. Uh, England had, of course, declared their independence from Catholicism. They had formed the Church of England, which has the monarch, you know, the king or queen. Uh, they are the head of the church. You might have learned that if you were looking into um, King Charlie when he got uh, coronated. Um, before that, um, the people, they didn't have a Bible. And by that, I mean one in their native language. You see, at that time, the, the Catholic Church was using what the, what's called the Latin Vulgate. Uh, the Latin Vulgate literally translates to, get this, vulgar Latin, which was actually the Latin language that was spoken by the common people. But I want you to bear in mind that 
at that time, England was, of course, the Anglo-Saxons as well as the Normans. And neither one of those spoke Latin. You know, more or less even read it. Now remember, in the early days of Catholicism, the Latin Vulgate was the common tongue. But, of course, the Roman Empire, they, they began to spread. They, they spread into all the other countries. Became, you know, that's why it was the Roman Empire, because Rome had a lot of different countries under them, and every one of those countries had their own language. So, instead of the Roman Catholic Church translating the Bible into multiple languages, they just kept using the rituals that were in Latin. They kept using the Bible in Latin. And when you think about it, when everything is done in Latin, and those people in foreign countries cannot speak Latin, you know, outside of Italy, they didn't have any idea what was going on. It didn't matter if you understood Latin. That's what they used. You didn't understand what the, pre the priest was saying on stage? Too bad. You just had to deal with it. But what had happened was once the the protestants broke away from catholicism they decided hey we need a bible of our own and in this case that was england uh this was not now i want to make sure you understand this because this was not the first attempt to translate the bible in england and in, into english uh, there was one, and uh, I had trouble tracking this down, but I remember reading it in a history book one time. Uh, it, it was one that dealt with um, the witch trials, where there was a man who, who translated the Bible into English way before this, and they literally threw him on a fire and burned him with all his copies of the Bible. Um, so, But the ones that you can find evidence of, you have the Wycliffe. That was the first and then you have the the Tinsdale that came from about 1500 it was translated into the common language from the original Greek and, and Hebrew you also have John Huss he tried the he tried uh, to, to create one for the Presbyterians that were in Scotland um, they were of course a Reformation group and then lastly you have Martin Luther himself he actually translated a Bible into German and if I recall correctly, that was in the mid-1500s. So yeah, there were several English translations at that time. But I want you to bear this in mind, none of them were perfect. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of them were incomplete. Because you got to realize, those were all done by one man. So, I personally believe the Lord had the leaders of the English church... I believe God had his hand in that. He had them approach our dear King James, and he had, you know, so that they could create a standard version that would be used in all churches. You know, instead of like one church having one version over here, another one having another version over there, they would all have a standardized English Bible all throughout England. So yeah, the church leaders, they were able to persuade King James to authorize and commission 47 men. All 47 of these men were 
outstanding scholars, great literary men who all understood the Greek language, the Latin language, the Hebrew language, and they all decided that yes, there was a need for a good new translation of the Bible in English. So this whole group of Bible scholars, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, all of them, biblical scholars, they all knew what they were doing. They all worked on the new English translation and they did this for years. If you have a King James in front of you, open it up. You're going to see a dedication page that these men, these, these translators, all wrote to King James because King James was the one who authorized it. Not to mention that he had to pay for everything. Someone had to pay for their room and board the entire time that they were working on translating the Bible. And this was all paid for partly by the church, partly by the government, but in those days, they of course both, both were one, right? It was about five or six years that they worked on it. I, I forgot the exact amount of time, okay? It was somewhere between five and six years. But they worked on it until they felt like, hey, we're done. Right? They all, they all went over it again and again and again. The ones who knew Hebrew, they of course worked on the Old Testament because the Old Testament was in Hebrew. The Greek scholars, they worked on the Greek, which of course was the New Testament. And yes, this is one thing I want you to realize, they compared it to the Vulgate. Look at the title page again. What does it say? The Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations diligently compared and revised. Keep that in mind. Not only was it translated directly from Greek and Hebrew, they also compared it with other translations that they had, they, they had available. Of course, that was the Tinsdale, the Wycliffe, the Vulgate, the Hus, all of them. They got all the help that they could from as many sources as they could. They felt that they had gotten a Bible that, that was a good translation. It was authentic. It was accurate. And when they were happy with that, they agreed on it. And only then did they present it to King James for, for his final approval so that it could be you know labeled as authorized by the king. That's why it's called authorized version, because it really was authorized by the king, so that they could be used throughout the church. What's what we now call the Church of England? Okay, um, some people call them the Anglican Church, or you know what I know them as the Episcopal. Keep that in mind that at this time, this was the only English protestant church there were no other denominations the old king james it was used throughout all the english speaking churches england scotland wales all of them and then of course 
when those churches, when they started to split, they all carried the same Bible with them, using the same Bibles, okay? Unlike how, how some people will try to tell you that these churches did not, that, you know, that they, these churches created their own translations, they didn't, okay? They didn't have any reason to. The King James was a good translation. It was accurate. It's authentic. There are many, many, many excellent scholars and theologians, okay, who will all agree that these men, they knew what they were doing. So yes, yes, I truly believe God had his hands on this translation. He inspired the translators. It's an excellent translation. Now, as far as the actual written words, King James had nothing to do with that. Unlike people will try to tell you that he did. There are a few, and I do mean few, let's say controversial points that King James was consulted on, along with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Things like, get this, what do we call the church? Silly, I know. But you had the translators who wanted to use either assembly or congregation whenever the Bible talks about the church. Either They wanted it to either be A, the, the congregation of believers, or B, the assembly of believers. Which is what that word really meant. The called out ones. But the Archbishop of Canterbury... He came up to the king and he said, and I quote, if you allow them to put it that kind of, inter if, if, bah, sorry, if you allow them to put in that kind of interpretation, that will almost totally destroy my authority as the head of the organized religious organization and the authority of the church and its buildings. If you give them the impression that they do not have to have buildings or an organization that the church, it, that the church is just a group of believers any believers that's going to destroy the authority of the organized English Episcopal Church and with that it may destroy you well after hearing that of course the king agreed that's why the word church is in the Bible church the word literally comes from the old English word that we, we don't even use anymore Kirk which means a chapel, a building. And in my opinion, that's one of the, and let me make sure I get this across, few bad things in the old King James. But yeah, we know what the word church means now. The word that they translated was ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek word. It's found in the Greek translation of the New Testament, and like I just told you, it means called out. And when you use it as a noun, the called out, the called out, right? Those who are called out. Do you notice something? There's no building in that, is there? It's a group of people. So let's talk about the Catholic translations. And I'm and I mean the Latin Vulgate, right? The um, ugh, the Douay Bible, 
the confraternity. You know, now the Latin Vulgate to the Catholics, that that was what the old King James was to the Protestants. It was the Bible in the language of the people. Don't forget, like we said earlier, the common language of the early Catholic Church was was Roman. It it was Latin. But it was vulgar, as they called it. And by that, I mean a common form of Latin. That's why it's called the Latin Vulgate. It was the main translation of the Bible right up until very recently. To be more specific, the Reformation. So, the 1500s. That is at least a thousand years. So, repeat after me. The Latin Vulgate was the translation of the common people. There's nothing wrong with the Vulgate. You have heard me, if you've been listening to sermons in the park long enough, you've heard me quote it several times. You can literally preach the gospel right out of the Vulgate. But when you put it up against the old King James... For the English and, and other common Bible, the Catholics, they decided that, hey, guess what? They needed a new Catholic edition, an English translation of the Vulgate, if you will, for the you know Catholics who spoke English. So what do we call that translation today? The Douay Bible. Ugh. It, it was an English translation, and it was made by French scholars. The Catholics still use it to this day. It, it, it's altogether a... I hate to say this. It, it's an okay translation. As long as you stay away from the footnotes. Since the creation of the Douay Bible, which, even though it's not a bad translation, I still don't like it. In more recent history... The, Paul, the Paulists, the Paulist fathers, they translated a more modern language translation, which I gotta say is excellent, and they call it the Confraternity. The, Paul, the Paulist fathers, they're they're very good brothers of, and priests, who who really they really do seem to know the Lord. A little bit about them, they are missionaries, they are evangelists, and from what I read o- online about them. They seem to specialize in <laughs> attempting to convert Protestants to, to Catholicism. And that's what led them to uh, creating this translation. I actually have it in my lap right now. Like I said, it's an excellent translation. It's still kind of new, and it's in the modern language. It's one of the best. Now, when you compare it to some of the other modern translations, it's actually superior. And the reason it's called the confraternity, which literally comes from confraternity of Christian doctrine, if you want a long, if that's actually the long name, the word confraternity means the brothers together. The Paulist fathers, they all got together and translated the Bible. And like I said, it is the modern English. It's very good. You can actually use it to, to preach the gospel. You can even use the footnotes. 
If you're someone like me, who's you know who who I I did I shied away from Catholic uh, doctrine for a long time from Catholic books. Like I said, I understand that, but this one does. It, it shies away from controversial Catherine doctrines. Catholic, I said Catherine, Catholic doctrines, and I found the book of Revelation, I found the book of Daniel, and other biblical prophecy sections of the Bible, they, they were excellent. You'll find that it is the authorized English version that the Catholics use now, and it has been authorized by the Pope and others. So, if you're like me, and you do, you like to witness whenever you get a chance pick this one up and I and it's going to help you when you witness to Catholics my friend Guy Pelton like I went, you know that's why I can discuss a lot of things with him you know you 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 saw a while back I did the the episode with uh, the Catholic bishop all that it will really help it, you'll find that it's very easy to understand you'll find the footnotes they come in handy so since that was kind of modern, let's talk about some other modern translations. The first one that come out came out in 1881. Um, it, it was called the English Revised Version. Okay, then then you have the American Standard Version, which was published in 1901. Then there's the Revised Standard Version, which came out in 1946. The American Revised Version was uh, very, very, very modern, and it's it's <laughs> it's not very good. It was highly criticized. Believe it or not, the two men who wrote it were not even Christians. They 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 did they they didn't believe at all. One of the things that you don't see or hear when you're when you're watching my videos or my uh, listening to my sermons or my podcast here is when I'm sitting here on the couch with about four or five Bibles open and I'm just comparing the translations if you get a chance to find you an American revised version and put you, and get you a King James have fun because you're gonna see the American revised is, is bad uh, I'll point out a couple things for you uh, they do not call Mary a virgin they belittle a lot of things they they minimize the miraculousness and the supernatural things that you see in the Bible. You'll find a lot of the modern people, uh, these unbelievers in America and England, they will use this translation to try to undermine the faith in God and the Bible. And in my opinion, that's pitiful. So let's get to why I feel the King James is the best English translation you see the King James is the only English translation that is based on the Greek text that people call the Textus Receptus which um, for you people like like me who before I studied the ministry the Textus Receptus is the Greek New Testament the same one that was used during the spiritual awakening that took place during the Reformation. You see, before the invention of printing, all scripture was copied by hand, and then it was circulated. The ones that were most acknowledged and accepted 
were the ones that were used for the King James. So they, of course, they tended to wear out easily. So they had to continuously recopy onto fresh paper or, or parchment, if you prefer. Now, for those out there who, look, who like to go, but aha, that proves it's not accurate. That's because you don't realize how these things were handled, okay? They always had a large number on hand. And they were always current. They were always checking them continually for accuracy. And this kept the copies from accumulating errors. It was from this source, the Greek New Testament, like I said, the one that's called the Textus Receptus, which means received text, that the King James was compiled from. The greatest majority of the surviving manuscripts actually agree with these texts. They called them the Byzantine texts. They're the ones that were preserved throughout the centuries of Christianity by Greek-speaking churches. So what about errors? What happened? When they would find these errors, you know, ones that were either caused by something... So, and, and you guys got to realize, these things are getting copied continuously. There's always a chance that one of the copiers could get careless. And there's also a chance that they could uh, deliberately do that, right? When they would come across those, they would discard them. They would burn them, tear them up, whatever. Unless it was deliberately discarded, it could possibly survive. Why? Because it wasn't being used. And I think this is what happened with these so-called, you know, Sinaitic and Vatican manuscripts. As well as some others. You know, the ones that were discovered in the 19th century. And some of them were older. You know, they were still preserved. When you look at them, they tend to contain numerous, and let me point this out, obvious careless mistakes probably some deliberate ones as well sadly because you know they are so old they a lot of the scholars accepted them especially Westcott Hort Nestle and others and, and they believed that that was the basis for the new Te the Greek New Testament which was published in the 19th century and they've been used in, in some of the modern English translations so that's why I feel personally the King James is the most accurate and most reliable. Even when you consider you know, what we've said so far, I see absolutely no reason why we need to replace it with some passing you know, modern translation. So let's summarize what I think the King what I, why I think the King James is superior to all modern translations like we said the the new trans the New Testament is based on the best Greek manuscript the Textus Receptus the modern English translations are all based on these quote-unquote older manuscripts that appeared you can't see me doing hand quotes to be in better shape but that was only because they were not used because of all the errors that were in them.
the King James had the most translators. Real, believing translators. So the King James, they, it, it would have had the most spiritual and correct translation. The King James is the best known. It was, the, it was widespread. It was more recognizable. You can find them in almost every hotel and motel you go into. They're given out in prisons, military, everywhere. And if you quote the King James, people will know you're quoting the Bible and that you're using the King James. In fact, let me say this. Open up a Book of Mormon. You'll find the same language used because Joseph Smith thought that all holy texts were written that way. The King James has been time-tested. It's been around for over 400 years. And if you accept it and you obey it, it works. It was written at a time when the English language was spoken and used in the most pure form. And contrary to what a lot of critics will say, and if you've been following our ministry long enough, you know that the King James is not that hard to follow. In fact, it's written in the most simple vocabulary using higher percentage of one of one or two syllable words most modern translations they don't have that the King James is almost universally acknowledged as a masterpiece of English literature and at least not in the United States the King James is not copyrighted that means you and I can completely retype it and publish it and we don't have to pay a fee like I said earlier this was not the work of one man it was a large conference of men the best men of God in England and every problem was worked out by the inspiration of God and the majority opinion you see the translators they decided they did not need to add any footnotes. They didn't need to add any explanatory notes. They let the word speak for itself. And I've said this time and again, when, there was a, when they added a word to help something make sense, they made sure you realized it. It's italicized. That way you can look through the King James Bible and if you think, well, that, I wonder if that means the exact same thing, take that word out. See if it makes sense. And you might find something. Like I told you guys about, you know, when you get into the story of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, I am he. He is italicized. Jesus wasn't saying, I am he. He said, I am. He spoke the name of God. Anyway, I hope that uh, kind of helps you guys understand why I use the King James. Maybe give you a little bit more background on it. Um, maybe I made you decide to just to start using the old King James. Either way, 
Um, I want to thank you all for joining me here. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep you. I hope you all had a great 4th of July and spent time with your families and maybe barbecued a little something or whatever. So thank you all for joining me. May God continue to bless you and keep you, and I'll see you all soon. Oh, and do not forget about Thursday. Thursday, I'll be interviewing that author, Greg Baker, about his uh, Davidic Chronicles series and the other books that he's got coming out. So thank you all, and God bless you. You have been listening to Sermons in the Park with Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, BitChute, and Rumble. And as always, thank you for listening.